Greetings in Jesus' name. It's been a while since we've looked at our characteristics of God, and we are on letter F. What are the characteristics that come to your mind with the letter F? Faithful. Faithful. Forever. Forever. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Freedom. Freedom. Friend. Fair. Father. Father. Fellowship. Fellowship. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I invite you this morning to Joshua chapter 20. I've entitled the message, The Place of Refuge. I note that refuge is frequently used in the Psalms. There are other places in the Bible that it speaks of God being our refuge. Do we know what a refuge is? Have you ever been in a dangerous situation and you needed a refuge? If you've ever been in the city and you're country folk, you probably looked around a few times to see if anybody was following you, especially if it was 11 o'clock at night. And when you got to your home or to your vehicle, you felt like it was a place of refuge. Have you ever been in a situation where there was high winds and you needed to get to cover? We were in Texas in May for billboard presentations, and the first night we got to the church and the wind picked up and things just blew around. We didn't know if we were going to be able to have church that night or not. About 7th. 15 or so, it calmed down a little bit. People started to trickle in. Some came in late. And after the service, some were talking about what happened. And one said, I saw around hay bale go across a road and across a railroad track. Well, another says they got into a shelter in their, in their uh, home there. They had a place of shelter for tornado warnings. Those were places of refuge. The Lord promises to be our refuge, but Joshua chapter 20 talks about another place of refuge under God's provision, and I want to note it this morning and note a second place of refuge and then compare to how Jesus is our refuge. Joshua chapter 20, the Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. 
And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Kedesh in Galilee, in Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kirja Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah, and on the other side Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain, out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither, and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood, until he stood before the congregation. Keep in mind, this was civil government in action. The children of Israel had both a civil government and also a religious government. So there was moral law, there was ceremonial law, but there was civil law. This is speaking about civil law. Now, we don't have that today because our government takes care of things. A few years ago, Alma, or Janelle was in Watkins Glen going through the main center of town and a lady hit her on the side. She was trying to turn there at that light. She turned in, into the side of the vehicle. And I went down there to, to get her and uh, to talk with the policeman. And the lady that hit her was obviously at fault. And I wanted to tell her that we forgave her for that. Janelle wasn't hurt. But I wanted to assure her that everything was fine and introduce myself and invite her to church sometime. When I went to that lady's side to tell her those things, the policeman came and stood right beside her. It was his civil responsibility to protect that lady from me. When we had a car accident the other year when a tractor trailer hit us out in Erie, Pennsylvania, the tractor trailer and us were friends, we were talking and we were trying to figure out what all happened there, and the policeman came up when he got there and came up, he made sure the two of us stayed separated. He didn't even let me talk to him again. Why is that? Because they've probably seen some pretty awful reactions to things like that. But our civil government is taking care of that. Here in Joshua, as Joshua is going into the promised land, God says, now remember what I told Moses, that when you get into the land... You are to, to set up some cities of refuge. We can't quite understand why that had to be this way, so I'm going to try to explain that. We have it recorded in Deuteronomy 19 that they were to do it. We have recorded in Numbers 35 why we were to do it. We have here in this passage 
Uh, something about why they were set up. Accidents happen. This is dealing with when an accident happens and somebody is not intentionally killing someone. How could an Israelite kill someone accidentally and what would that be called in today's terms? In today's terms, it wouldn't be called murder, it'd be called manslaughter. In Jewish life, the Bible says in Exodus 21 that if a fight breaks out between two men and they somehow push against a pregnant woman who accidentally gives early childbirth or she is harmed, that that's considered manslaughter. It also says in Exodus that if you have an ox and he's known to gore someone or nor, known to get out of the fence and to be mean and he gores someone, you're responsible. That is manslaughter. In Deuteronomy it says that if you're in the woods and you're cutting wood and the axe head comes off and strikes someone and they, they die from that, that is manslaughter. Accidental death. It also speaks about if you intentionally kill someone and what to do about that. But here in Joshua chapter 20, it says, if you accidentally kill someone, then you have a city of refuge that you can run to. In Israel, God appointed the city. The people didn't appoint the city. God appointed the city. Why? Because he said, I want it to be divided up so that everyone has equal chance to get to the city of refuge when in danger. So it's divided up. If you look at the cities that are named here in verse 7 and 8, they're divided up. So that the person, any person in Israel would be able to get to a city of refuge within about 25 miles. Let's say Geneva. Is that fair? So if we're here today and we accidentally kill someone and we were under this Jewish system, we accidentally killed someone, we would have a city of refuge at Geneva. And we better hike it. We better get to that city of refuge as quickly as we could get because the civil law says there's a avenger of blood, a relative of the person slain that has a responsibility to deal with the blood that was shed. Now, if it was during the week and Geneva was the city of refuge, I'd have a little less than 25 miles. Some of you north further would have Less, okay, but it was to be a city they could reach within a day's journey. That's what it says. There was also, according to the Jewish history, the need to make sure that the roads were well paved, well prepared, well kept up, so that no one would find it difficult to travel there. In fact, the Jewish rabbis have recorded that the roads were to be about 48 feet wide, which is a little wider than what 14 is going north. 
And at every turn of the road, there was supposed to be a signpost that had on it, Refuge, Refuge, pointing the way. Now, when I get into a city, I see hospital, hospital, hospital. That's helpful when I'm visiting in the hospital. Okay. Why do they do that? Because they want people to know where they can get help. The city of refuge was marked out. It was known by everyone that if they accidentally killed someone, that they needed to run to that place of refuge and that the road would be prepared, the bridges would be kept up, the marker would be there guiding them that, yes, that is the way to the city of refuge. And remember, this wasn't man's setup. This was God's setup. What's that say to you about our God? Think about God's provision for mankind down through history. His awareness of our sin nature and our need for help and his provision that there would be a place of salvation place of protection. So there's these cities, there's three on the west of the Jordan River, Kedesh, Shechem, and Hebron. And on the other side of the Jordan River, there's three more, pretty much directly across from each other. Those are for the people on this side, these are the people on this side, and you could run to those city of refuge, whichever one was closest to you, strategically placed. Now these weren't the largest cities, these weren't the cities that were the most populated. These were cities that were owned by the Levites. Remember, when Joshua went into the land, they divided it in 12 ways for the 12 tribes. Or did they? They divided it, but the Levites did not get a portion. And so they were to be given cities because their work was for the tabernacle. They were to be given 48 cities, and out of that, six of those were to be these cities of refuge. So when you ran to a city of refuge, you were met with a priest, and he would let you in. Now suppose you were really guilty of having killed someone. You had intent to kill, and you ran to a city of refuge. Well, we'll get to that. But the priest would let you in. You murdered or you had manslaughter on your hand. The priest left you in. I find another place in scripture that is referred to as a place of refuge. It's not mentioned often. But do you remember the brazen altar that was at the tabernacle where animals were sacrificed morning and evening? And how at the edge of that tabernacle, there was a place where people could come in, and then there was a boundary that they couldn't cross. The priests were only allowed to cross. They could come to the altar where the animals were sacrificed, but they could go to a father. On that altar, which was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long, four and a half feet high, where the animals were laying, there were horns out the edge of that, not like a deer antler or a cow horn, but more a larger 
place that something could be tied to, a cross. Some people think they tied an animal across there before. I don't know. But it states in the scripture that there's supposed to be horns on this altar, the same way as the altar of incense in there was supposed to have these horns on there. And when somebody killed someone accidentally, they could run to the brazen altar and cling on to that horn. Now, why would they run there as a place of refuge? Because that was a place that was sacred. That was a place that was special. It was a place where the sacrifice to God was given, and you were going to God, clinging to that altar horn and crying out for mercy. Now, I envision this. I envision some of our missionary stories that we read, and I'm thinking one in Guatemala right now. When the Troyer man was killed in the 80s, people came and took him out of his home and took him to the edge of the compound, and he, they threatened him with death. He pled with them not to kill him. Can you imagine the moment of standing at the point where these people are going to kill you, and your only hope is for God to intervene, and you're going to do what you can to plead for your life? He pled for his life, but his life was not spared. They took it anyway. The desperation of someone at the horn of the altar, clinging there where no man could really take him away, except the priest could take him and Find out whether this is accidental or whether this is intentional. And there was magistrate or group of authorities set up to discern whether you had intentionally killed or whether you had not. Same way in the city of refuge, there was that that took place. Mercy and justice were to be shown through that trial. Mercy for the person accidentally did wrong, manslaughter, or justice for the person who killed. And you remember, I think, the law of tit for tat, or you could call it the law of retaliation, or in, in old times it was called the law of lex talionis, which says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. It was the way to carry out civil law. It was for the peace of the country, of the land. And so there was not to be mercy if someone had intentionally killed because as Deuteronomy tells us, the blood cried out from the land to God. God said if there's blood shed, if there's murder done, there needs to be a retaliation for that. But remember, Jesus addressed the, the people in Matthew about this law and said, the person who had his eye punched out couldn't go and punch 
the person's eye out. It had to be the judge-appointed man to go and punch the eye out. And the reason for that was because if I got my eye punched out, you better believe I'm going to punch two eyes out of the fellow that did it to me. So it was to limit the retaliation. It was to make an equal for an equal. And that's what the judges were to do here. The person who was declared innocent in Joshua chapter 20 had the right to stay in the city of refuge. This city was stocked up with food. This city had the priests there as good influence on your life. They were your protectors. And if you were innocent, you were allowed to stay in that city until the death of the high priest. Verse 6. He should dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. After the high priest's death, a new high priest was ordained or anointed, and he had a position of authority because of that anointing. But there was the end of an era with a certain high priest, and so that put an end to the guilt or to the threat to the person who was looking to be free from the avenger of blood, as verse 3 says. Verse 3 says that they should take refuge from the avenger of blood, the next of kin that had the right and the responsibility to carry out justice. And so this morning, if we're running to Geneva because we have accidentally killed someone, we dare not delay because the avenger of blood, if he catches us outside the city of refuge, has the responsibility to deal with what happened with his relative. So when this happened, they immediately took off to the city of refuge. The judge meant there by the priests determined whether they stayed there or whether they were guilty. And if they were guilty, they were turned out of the city of refuge for the avenger to do his task. Why do we share this this morning? Because I see a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. And let me lay this out for you. When we talk about the altar where the sacrifices were laid. Don't we think of Jesus and his sacrifice at the cross? He did that sacrifice once and for all. It was not continual like they did there, but he was that sacrifice. The one that took the sins of the whole world for all of time. And where do you lay your sin? Where do I lay my sin? It's at the foot of the cross in the belief that Jesus has done what needed to be done. That I can be in the place of refuge with him. Do you struggle from time to time with your past sin? And feel like it's still hanging over you? Or have you put it at the cross and said, 
That's where forgiveness is. It's promised to be taken away. And the interesting thing is that Jesus is always available for us to come to him. The road is well paved. It is wide open. The city is well stocked with provision to keep us as we live in Christ. You getting the picture? But the sobering thing for me as I contemplated this message and the altar and the mercy that was requested as people came and hung to the horn of the altar was do I take my sin seriously and do I with tears and with re real repentance cling to the mercy that he's given to me? Or do I just take it lightly, God forgive me, and I go on my way? Do I take seriously that I have offended God, I have gone against him? Yes, I can be forgiven, but there is a consequence in my influence on other people. There's patterns that can be developed in my life because... I haven't taken it seriously this time, and so next time it's easier to do it again, and next time it's easier to do it again. That was a sobering thought for me. Have I come to the horn of the altar? Have I come to Jesus with that kind of desperation? As John Troyer must have felt in Guatemala when they were saying to him, you are going to die, and he pled for his life. We know we can come to Jesus. We can come boldly to Jesus for forgiveness. And I believe as we take our failure, our sin seriously, it is a strength for us in future living. But if it doesn't matter, I did it, okay, it's forgiven, I go on, and it's not a serious matter, I don't see the seriousness of it, then how can I truly, truly repent from it? So Jesus takes in those who are ones that have sinned without knowledge or without intent, but he also, differently than the city of refuge, takes in the one that has murdered, the one that has intentionally walked away from him, and he's brought wholeness to us. Jesus came to earth to give us hope. He is our place of refuge. I want to stay there and I encourage you to stay there at the foot of the cross as the place of safety where our hope can be secure. You know, today in our world, there's a lot of people that are looking for refuge. Physical refuge, what is it, 5.5 million Ukrainians that are looking for refuge? I think about that many Syrians also, who in the last years have been looking for refuge. There's a huge number of people in the world that have left their country because of persecution or fighting or distress and are refugees. 
But there's also people spiritually that are seeking refuge. Yesterday, I took calls in the morning for the billboard work. And a 16-year-old girl called and she said, I'm so sad about what's taken place this week with the Supreme Court's ruling. And I asked her, I said, does that affect you? She says, yes, I'm pregnant. I said, what's been going on in your life? She went down through a long list of things that were going on in her life. And I said, you need Jesus. You need to come back to the Lord. I asked if I could pray with her. She said, yes. I started to pray and the phone went dead. And I figured, oh, just hung up. It was my time to be off. We were gonna sing at the Starkey Church. It was my time to go. And I clicked my button off that I'm not on call anymore. And before I left, I went in and grabbed the things I was going to need for the funeral in the afternoon. I was going to go from the Starkey Church right to the funeral. And I went into my study to grab my, my notes and my Bible. And I saw on my screen that she had tried to call back. And there was a message. On that message... I said, I'm not going to listen to the message. I'm going to just call her back right away because it had just happened. I called her back. She picked up the phone, and she was weeping. She says, I didn't hear your prayer. She says, I did not intentionally hang up. I don't know what happened. And because I couldn't hear your prayer, I felt like God was saying a sign that there's no hope for me. I said, well, may I pray with you now? Last night after the activities of the day, I listened to the recording. This lady was weeping through the recording, saying her life is one royal mess. I hope for further contact. She needs a place of refuge, physically and spiritually. And we can point people as the road sign Refuge, this way. Refuge, refuge. But we first have to have placed ourselves at the foot of the cross and receive that refuge before we're going to be able to pass it on to somebody else. So God bless you this week as you are a place of refuge, pointing to the ultimate secure Jesus in the midst of all kinds of danger, all kinds of challenges that people are facing. May they see the need of that safe spot by turning back to God. Let's kneel together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we claim you as our refuge, as Psalm says so many times. You are our refuge, our fortress. You are faithful. You are our Father. You are forever available 
We run to you. We run to you for safety. And Lord, may we be signposts along the way this week to be a place that people can come, but also a place people can be pointed to Jesus. Thank you for this congregation of people. Again, we pray for those who couldn't be here this morning, that you would bless them, minister to their hearts, give them security in knowing that you care about them where they are today. Bless us as we go from here, in Jesus' name.